I am for making your own choices and making sure that the reason why you're doing things is coming from within, that you have a strong structure of self-validation and one that is not rooted in your body or appearance. You know, it's rooted in the things that your value, your personal value is more than that. Hi, you're listening to Good Is In The Details. I'm your host, Gwendolyn Dolsky, and joining me today is... Rudy Sallow, he's the lawyer who shows up and talks about transportation. Uh, I, I do. Yeah. Good, good afternoon. I do speak more than just transportation, but that topic actually will come up during this discussion today. I, we're ready for it. You should introduce our guest, and, okay. and we, I'll bring it right in. Okay. And our guest is actress. You've seen her on Border Patrol, comedian, podcaster, and we're going to be talking a lot about her latest podcast, Hot Pizza Ass, Erin Darling Torelva. Thank, Thank you. you so much. Erin's <laughs> a lot of things, and I'm super excited about this. I've been following your podcast. I've been following you. But the one thing, apparently, that you're not is a religious public transportation user. Do you want to talk, do you want <laughs> yes. to, talk to us about that? Yeah, you know what, what happened today? Okay, well, what happened today is I clicked on the link in the email to come here to where we're recording the podcast, and Google Maps took me to a completely different address that was also in downtown LA, but kind of like in a different district, 20 minutes away from where I was actually supposed to be. So I was 20 minutes late to get here, and of course, I listened to this podcast and I know that Rudy loves public transit. And I was like, why didn't I just take the train from where I live since it is so easy? So here's what I'm, I'm going to offer to you. Yes, what I offer to me. everybody out in the world. <laughs> should you ever need to ask the question, should I take the train or should I drive? Here's where I need to go. You can reach out directly to me and, I'll, and I'll, I will be honest with you. I won't always really? tell you to take the train. Yes. Okay. I will tell you where you need to go in all of Los Angeles or even outside of Los Angeles because... We have the metro system, but there's the Amtraks and mm-hmm. all okay. kinds of things. Well, then he I do have all. a question. Excellent. <laughs> okay, Beverly Hills, like Rodeo Drive. If you're going there, that is a difficult area for public transportation, but there are buses. There are buses. Mm-hmm. From downtown Los Angeles, there's like the bus rapid transit, which will take you down all all of Wilshire, like wow. from, from downtown LA all the way to like Santa Monica. That's probably your best way because they can actually control the signal lights. Beverly Hills is hard to get to yep. on purpose. Mm-hmm. Beverly Hills, as a city, stopped the expansion of the subway I back, in the, back in the 80s. Why did they do that? And actually, Beverly Hills High School right now is currently trying to stop or at least have the train move around Beverly Hills High School. Beverly Hills is what it is. It's always going to be like that little empire that's going to be hard to get in, whether you whether you try to get there by a car or whether you try to actually buy a house there. Mm-hmm. Other than Beverly Hills, I could probably get you to someplace via a train or a bus. But Beverly Hills, I think, does allow the scooters. I don't know if they – no, maybe they don't. I, I don't think they do anymore. I, they did for a little while. Yeah. And, and then they got rid of them because Beverly Hills doesn't want anybody inside of Beverly Hills. Mm-hmm. So I can't help you there. All right. Yeah. Yeah. See, I'm not, I'm not perfect, <laughs> the, Gwen. The transit whisper. Yeah, the transit whisper. I, I just I whisper into the voices of people and in, in the little trains to get you places. It's good to know these things, though, it because is. a lot of people are very ignorant about pu- public transportation in Los Angeles and what the options are. I know very few people that own a car and take it. It's either you you have to do it because you do not have a car, or you're just no, I'm just gonna drive. Yeah. And then you just don't even deal with it. It's a mindset shift. Right. Like, I, I still have a car because I have kids, mm-hmm. and I, I got to shuffle the kids around, but so, shovel, move the kids around. Someday, I will not have a car. 
mm-hmm. for sure. I'm definitely going to go that route. Even though here's the here's where I'm a crazy person. My favorite vacation, road trips. Can you imagine that? That makes no sense whatsoever. But you don't have to deal with traffic. Oh my gosh! You're right because you're out on the open road. Uh-huh. It's therapeutic. I do miss when I I lived in Belgium for a while and public transportation was all I did and I I miss that. That was nice. But yeah. Rudy, we have to talk about beauty. It, this is our we, second we, episode about beauty. We, we are. This is. But <laughs> but, but, here, yes. but here's the connection. Here's okay. the connection. You go for it. You want to know one of the benefits that you get from public transportation? Walking. Oh, and yes. It's an easy. It's an easy way to stay in shape. You know, most people, if you want to have a long life and not have some joint problems later on in life, choose walking instead of running. And so the train is a part of that. So there you go. And stay off the phone while you're walking. Yes, that safety is all important. But but there now I just yeah. connected it to beauty. You're That's awesome. Good. I try. This is, this is why. I know this, this is why, why you have me this, around. Yeah. <laughs> connected. Okay, just for our audience, what inspired you with the hot pizza ass? This, you know, your first episode where you were talking about uh, delving yeah. into beauty and self-image. Because we right. should just say off the bat, you're absolutely stunning. And so it was interesting to hear this very raw and open uh, account of what it is like to be in the entertainment industry and be told this is what you are supposed to look like right. and to to not fit that or to take great pains to try and fit it and be unhappy. Yeah, I mean, that was my life for a really long time. I started the podcast. I mean, I feel like I've been walking toward this podcast probably my whole life. But when I really decided to launch it a couple months ago, I had posted an image of myself and I am laying on a bed. I'm wearing a piece of pizza on my butt. And I thought about posting this image. I had it for like a month and a half before I actually posted it. And when I did, I accompanied it with a caption that was about, you know, accepting my body and like loving it for what it is and changing, like, you know, as it changes from day to day, from month to month to year to year, deciding to love it. And to me, I don't want to say this is brave because I feel like that's kind of like self-aggrandizing, but like it was brave for me in the moment to post that image because I knew there was a big possibility I would just get roasted for it, especially being a comedian and being a comedian who other people have decided is cute. You know, I like know that that's always like something, you know, it's kind of it's like, do I do I cover this up? Do I just be me? Am I, how am I being judged? Am I going to be taken seriously? And these are all things I think about on a daily basis. Yeah. And I think a lot of women do. And for me, as someone that has uh, a history of eating disorders, you know, I had bulimia, even showing my body sometimes is like very scary to me. But I do it and I have done it and it's part of my profession. To To show your body? To be, well, to be visible. Right. Or to be asked to. Or I want to ask, what is it like? So how are you made aware of what the standards are? Is it you go out on an audition? Or who is is feeding you this information? And what do they say? And how do they say it? I have a really good story for you. I'm ready. That kind of encapsulates what we're talking about. So one of my first commercial agents, I go into her office. This is a woman. And she sits me down. She wants to talk about what my goals are. She looks at my pictures. You're really very photogenic. Like you could have a great career. I can help get you there. And I specialize in building people's careers. But you need to be okay with nudity. Or I will not sign you. Because that is how a young woman in Hollywood builds her career. What, what year was this? This was only like three years ago. Wow. And I said yes. 
thinking in my mind, okay, I'm really not comfortable with nudity unless this is like a Martin Scorsese film or like, Mm -hmm. you know, like even if it was like a small role in something big or meaningful or artistic. But in general, I'm not going to be topless in like a B asylum film or whatever. You know what I mean? Like I'm just not... That's not worth it for me. So uh, I said yes, and I signed with this person knowing that at any point in time I could get dropped by my agent because if that opportunity really did come my way, I was going to say no. Yeah. But like that's just kind of like a perfect example of the kind of stuff or the situations that you're in where you feel, oh, you realize, okay, so my body is a commodity. It's something that I am expected now to use so that I can get where I want to get. Right. And I... Just, I'm not comfortable with that. And some of your, let's just say some of your talents that have nothing to do with body would be journalism major, Mm -hmm. comedian, also podcaster. (laughs) But when you think about it, all of these things, they don't require a body size in order to accomplish. And yet somebody is still coming in and saying, this is the, the body that needs to be, that needs to accompany this. But it's really only for women. Right, Right. exactly. And I've literally been told over and over again that I could be more successful. I could have a better career. I could win Miss California or whatever, you know, if I got my body right. And then it raises the question, well, what is right and what is wrong? Like, how is this wrong? Like, I'm not, I'm what, maybe like a size like um, six? Like, Mm -hmm. is is that too big? Is that too big for this industry? Is that too big in general? What kind of judgment are we making on people? And if I'm too big and I'm just like a normal girl, then what about someone that's one size up? Yeah. You know? That's what I think about. I think about with young women, how much energy and effort is put into the size of their body as opposed to the health of their body Mm -hmm. and how much that detracts from then sitting down and writing quality work or participating in the world that sometimes I wonder these things are a pushback so that the more successful you are then somebody will keep you in check with your body size that's like Mm -hmm. the one negative power I think people still have over women is it doesn't matter where you are they can say something about your body and that that will immediately cause an asymmetry of power right what bothers me is that women do this to other women yes rudy i see you're thinking about it i mean there's a there's a lot to unpack here as as a father of a three and a half year old you know little girl Uh uh, my wife and i talk about this a lot Mm -hmm. about how we how she what's the world going to be like when she's going to be older and the reality is i mean (laughs) instagram and social media some of the people that have the most followers take off the most clothes mm-hmm. is something that I've, you know, come to learn. And and, and that women, might... Women, is it women or men? Uh, women and men. Okay. I mean, I, I've seen... Well, no, I mean, men tend to be, like, on the funnier side. Mm-hmm. And then some, some of the other, like, super top Instagram people, you know, in the Kardashian level or the other level, they're, they're not wearing a lot of clothes. And it's... What, what I'm trying to say is, does this kind of transcend just Hollywood? Is it just society as a whole wanting to see more naked women... And, and that's why they're they're following them on Instagram? Or is it, I don't think it's limiting it just to the entertainment industry. Yeah. I, I feel like the whole world is set up this way. I think it's I still agree. just saying that the, a woman's worth, still part of what her worth is, has to do with her body. And we had talked about this before with Dr. T, mm-hmm. is this idea that there's a moral claim that's attached to it. So when a woman is in shape, she's also good. You know, like mm-hmm. that's part of... Of it. And if she puts on weight, then she somehow let herself go. 
that there's a moral claim to it that she's not taking care of herself. Right. Did you guys see I, that I posted this on Instagram? I just posted something on Instagram yesterday because I was I was hanging out with a group of friends of mine and we were... Um, I I'm, did see Yeah, that. I'm showing them an image right now that has been face-tuned of me and how much they can change someone's body on, on Instagram. And you swipe through and I found that by doing research that there are apps targeted at young women called BodyTune, Make Me Slim, Perfect Waist, Reshape, like implying... Exactly yeah. the things that you're saying. To be perfect, you have to be small. Like body to like perfect me is a smaller version of you. And these are marketed toward young women. This is so unhealthy that this is the awful marketing that they are on the receiving end of. So did you get an aha moment where you're saying, you know, I'm going to love my body the way it is? What's yeah. That? Okay, what was that? <laughs> was it the yeah. pizza? Or was, no? That was the moment oh, where I was, was okay. because I realized I I had that image for like I said a month and a half before I got the courage up to post it and I was like, "Well, why why am I feeling like this?" You know, I think this I want to post it. I took the photo to post it, but what is it inside of me that is hesitating? Like what am I I'm judging myself for it? Like I don't feel like I'm maybe I'm not good enough to post it or maybe I'm afraid of how I will be perceived. And I just realized that a lot of this is just bullshit and a lot of it's conditioning and and it's the way, the fears that I have about how society will view me even though I am a creative and I'm in a pretty free field. I could do something like this and it's not necessarily going to hurt my career, but I had so much judgment and fear about it that that was my moment where I was like, you know what, I'm going to post it. I'm just going to, I'm just going to do it. Mm-hmm. Obviously, you've gotten some positive responses to it, and it's worked out well. On one of the episodes that you did on your podcast with Donna D'Errico, mm-hmm. when I was listening to what she went through when she was on Baywatch and how the world and what the weight of women and the curve the curves have, have shifted over the years, right. her impression was it's a lot better now than it was in the late 80s and 90s. And I personally would tend to agree with that because – I was never really into the, the the skinny flat butt type of type of a look. Like I just wasn't. I mean, I'm just I just never thought that that's what normal women look like in and general. It's true. But so what I'm asking <laughs> is, and I wanted to ask you this right during the episode. I wanted to say, well, okay, what does Aaron think? Do you think it's better now than it was when you two were in high school, or you two were in college, or are things just as bad as far as what is beautiful? I, I'd like your opinions. I think so, because I think that we've become more accepting and we see we have better role models or examples of role models in society that stand for these things that might have been on the outskirts a couple of years ago. You know, like now we have runway models that maybe have like, you know, I've seen models that have a fake leg and now mm-hmm. that's being exposed and we're seeing it in media or people that are we would normally consider them to be like disfigured or handicapped you know and they are becoming faces of brands you know even social media as toxic as it can be has uplifted certain people to the point where now we're being exposed to images of beauty that aren't just determined by a modeling agency or louis vuitton or whatever brand you know that's the duality here that's that's where i'm i know the danger of social media right Mm -hmm. i think it does bring feelings of jealousy like oh my gosh i don't have what that person has look how much fun that person's having on facebook my life sucks compared to that person yet these the way other people look which is not just the the skinny girls from the 1980s anymore Mm -hmm. they now have a platform to show off 
their bodies as they are. So there is that duality of, of the positive and the negative of social media. Mm-hmm. So does the so here's a question. Here's a mm-hmm. philosophical question. I'm ready. Is the positive outweigh the negative? <sighs> I know. See how difficult that was, Professor. I think. <laughs> I think that what remains is that the woman's body, voluptuous or rail thin. Or remember the heroin chic from uh, the 90s? I, I really hated that. Yeah. I'm, I'm serious. I, I thought it was disgusting. The, I, I still think it's disgusting. It still exists for male consumption. There are a lot of women, and you're right, there's been this diversity because it went from, you know, just the standard essentially being white mm-hmm. to having more diversity in the field of what constitutes beauty. I still think that it still exists as the for the gaze of the other. And... Like when we see women who are empowered, we're often they they often have to be beautiful. So we don't see pictures of the CEO women who are not stunning or gorgeous or anything like that. Like there's still this standard that has to be there. Right? No, I totally so, see so, what you're saying. So I'll ask a really quick question on this because I kind of see this. I think about this a little bit with men too because I'm absolutely obsessed with hair. Okay, I will do you any. Have great hair. You, you have. I work hair. my ass off for my. I'm serious. I work my ass off for my hair, and so there. There, I. I mean, believe me, we can we can go on for I a mean, long time about my own, with my own personal uh, <laughs> issues with beauty and everything. My, but my focus on going to a personal trainer and getting in health is I'm 42. I got super young kids. It's on health, but there is that balance between health versus beauty. Like, where is that line? I, I'm curious. Mm-hmm. Well, I think. What Aaron showed with the what is it called Facetune? Um, yeah, well, the that was the app that okay. I had discovered because I use photo editing stuff, but I use different ones that are kind of more uh, focused on filters or it can put makeup on you. I had no idea that with Facetune, I was aware it could fix certain things with someone's face, but I didn't know you could change your boob size or your slim your waist. And the other one I found, I forget what it's called, and we shouldn't even advertise it because it's awful, but. Yeah, those apps scare me. Well, here's a real repercussion. So younger people are more likely to send sexy nude images of themselves to each other, but they don't want to be naked in front of each other. And they might, and they might be, and they might be doctored as well. They might be, they might be, they might be doctoring fake photos and sending those for whatever unhealthy reasons. So people are not relating to each other because being nude in front of somebody is that vulnerability you don't look like that but there's a real repercussion to it where people are not connecting with each other yeah I mean so when I was in school that was we had social media but it wasn't like no one was sending nudes to each other Mm -hmm. you know that wasn't a thing yet and so I can't imagine you know what that would feel like I'm working on a stand-up act right now that that (laughs) that is um, the epidemic of the dick pic like yeah. people are honestly on this is true this is where public transportation and dick pics and social media stuff is coming together somebody told me a public story public transportation yeah somebody oh, okay. somebody told me the story they were on a uh, a train recently in Los Angeles and whatever they had their bluetooth thing on and somebody tried to send a dick pic to the person that that oh. was in that was oh inside of the subway train there's there's something going on. Oh, someone tried to airdrop it. Yeah, someone oh tried to airdrop God. a dick. There's oh a there is there is an epidemic out there that goes just beyond people not you having see, sex. This oh is what gosh. I'm saying is that technology outpaces existing law. So that's probably not illegal. 
Because there's no law saying that you can't do that. Well, isn't that harassment? But now we would have to add that. It's a great question. Uh, harassment Somebody's is a civil. Somebody's going to have to write that in the law. Civil, civilly, yeah, probably. There is probably. <laughs> so we're going to have to sit there and be no, like, I'm and telling by the way, you, we're going to have no to. No air, no air we, we have to have dick pic law. I'm telling you, it's going to be a part of my stand-up <laughs> act. I, we, we can work on it together, but I'm t- this is there's a dick pic epi- epidemic. So Gwen. someone's going to have to run for office. On, on that platform, the one. oh my god, I will vote for them. I but will. that's what's happening these days. The, yeah. the, the, the photos and the, this is the that other side of the social media and the smartphones, the negative side of it. Mm-hmm. You know, so does yeah. the that positive outweigh the negative? I don't know. I don't know. I'm curious. What kind of a response did you get? I mean, did young women reach out to you, or how do people respond to the images and just being open about this vulnerability about body size and how you're supposed to look? You know, it was so weird. There were a lot of different things that happened when I posted that photo. Um, one of the things that happened is I lost a lot of followers. Really? That one day I tracked it because at that time I was really focused on my Instagram growth, so I was really tracking my analytics and looking at what happened that day. And I was curious to see if what would happen when I posted it. And I lost at least 100 followers that specific day. Wow. I archived that photo three times. I felt shame. I felt Mm. maybe this was a bad choice. Maybe this is not representative of what I want to be. Even though the message was good, I felt like maybe the image overpowered anything that I could possibly say with it, even though it wasn't really that scandalous. But... You know, it's just that it's that perception. And then I wasn't courageous enough to stand by it. I took it down three times. I had family members talk about it. I when I finally got the courage to read the comments, I saw a lot of women responded to it in a very positive way. Mm-hmm. So and I don't know what type of followers I lost, if they were male or female or like what age demo they fell into. It could have been the the wives of husbands that were following you. Like they, they made they did the unfollow <laughs> you because it because they were like, Hey, this is this is way too good. This guy should oh not be God. watching this. I don't know. I have no idea. <laughs> but yeah, it's also funny. I mean, that's the thing, is that it's also funny because it's you hilarious. Have, yeah, you have this nude body and there's a, pizza a slice of pizza on, on an the butt. Ass. Yeah, like, and, it's, and, it's, it, it, right. and it took me a long time to get the pun. I'm t- that's how yeah. not smart <laughs> I am. I'm telling you. Yeah, I didn't. I did not. Because the pizza looked the school way, upbringing. The pizza looked hot, so oh. it was it was that <laughs> oh it was gosh. like a fresh pizza pizza too. Oh so you know what I mean? That I picture. you know you had to just set it up. <laughs> I had to. That was good. Come that's on, that's great. Yeah. I couldn't make you laugh the last time. <laughs> I mean the the image was yeah I think I took it almost a year ago like it's December now and now I posted it I think it was February so there were just like a lot of things having like a lot of layers to it I guess and ultimately when I did read the comments there were a lot of people that said I relate to this I have felt the same way about my body you know and and people that took the time to read the caption understood what I was doing and then of course there was the dudes that responded to it which immediately you know sexualized the image of the pizza and the butt and me all together so the response was all over the place but I knew because it was so complicated and because the way that I felt about it which was also all over the place that there was something there that I needed to uncover and unpack and I knew I had a lot to say about the the issue so so where that's what brings me to the next question so you've got this launch of this podcast about self-love and mm-hmm. what have you learned so far? You're, you're what, 11 episodes in or a dozen episodes? Ten. I think today I did episode 10. Okay. So what are you learning from this process? Well, what I'm learning is that everyone has a story. And I am so surprised 
of the people who have reached out to me to say that they want to do the podcast, I'm surprised at how many men have said that they have felt like this. Yeah, I couldn't believe it. Could not believe it. And I honestly cannot believe how vulnerable people are willing to get to get on this platform, you know, to join this movement, to talk about self-acceptance and discovery and and choosing to love yourself instead of hate yourself or judge yourself. So that's what I've learned. It's been really beautiful, actually. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I feel better about people coming in and wanting to share their stories because their stories, they're coming from people that other people look up to. Yeah. You know, and they're like, oh, like Jeff Garland felt that he, you know, he's judged his body. He's really successful, you know, and it's Donna, Donna Dierico is on Baywatch, a very beautiful person. You know, she almost got fired because she gained a few pounds. Like what? You know, now that people know these things, I think that it's it's good for other people to hear these stories. Uh, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, it's exhausting. Maybe this is part of the social media thing. It's exhausting to try to be like everyone else and it just kills creativity yeah because all of that time and trying to fit in it just kills it Mm -hmm. what are you thinking I see see you know I was was raising my hand because I would I would love to talk on that podcast yet I did something about my body dysmorphia I got a nose job when I was 15 yeah I listened to that episode where you talked about that I did yeah honestly can I say when I heard you when you were telling that story so openly when you had the plastic surgeon on the podcast I was like wow that's awesome at how honest he you were just willing to be like you just put it all out there instantly yeah it was and I have mixed feelings about it you know like I've had a lot of I know I was being honest because that was so much of a part of my youth and I and I really do believe that I needed to get it done for for health reasons. That, mm-hmm. That's for sure. Uh, I had a deviated septum. I couldn't breathe. But I did feel so much of a different person like after it. And a lot of people do go to plastic surgeons. And, and I'm not against, you know, some plastic surgery. Like there are some people out there, women that, that have had their breasts removed from cancer surgery. And there, there's, a, there's many, many reasons why you would go to a plastic surgeon, right? So it, once again, it's that balance of, you know, like, hey, accept who you are, but if there's something that you, you want to get done and it's not crazy and you don't become an, addicted to plastic surgery, yeah, fine, go do that too. It's your life. You know, so it's it's so hard for me to, to – difficult. I mean, I'm sure you could probably, like, hear the struggle in my voice because I, I did do something about it, yet I totally get people should accept who they are. Maybe if this – it was 2019 and I was 15 years old and being an Arab American in the United States was much more acceptable – uh, than when it was when in the 1980s and 1990s. Maybe I wouldn't have gotten it done. Maybe I would have been okay. Maybe maybe looking different, which is much more acceptable today than it was back then, mm-hmm. maybe it wouldn't have happened. I don't know. I'm 42 now. I'm not 15. Mm-hmm. But I'm trying to I'm trying to like put myself into that. You know, it's times are different. Times are better. Yeah. It's not perfect. But we I do think we as a society are moving in the right direction. Some some aspects Slowly. of our society. There's many aspects of our society that I've got a big problem with. You know, I don't want to get political on this, but the reality is I do think we are getting better. I think that shows like yours and you talking about beauty and Mm -hmm. the different aspects of it are really, really important to help young people accept who they are. And this wasn't around when we were younger. So we're lucky to have this. That's true. That's true. Just before we started recording, I was telling Aaron about how it really, really hit me when Katie Hill, the congresswoman, do you remember the freshman congresswoman, her ex leaked naked photos of her? 
And all I could think about was how commenting on a woman's body or nude photos is a way to police the woman's body to keep her in check when it comes to power. Mm -hmm. And it worked because she resigned. It made me think of um, Marsha Clark in the middle of the OJ trial when there were leaked photos of her. It was a way to keep her in check. Vanessa Williams, the first American, our first African-American, like naked photos. It's like, no, that these... You know, these photos are a way to police to say you it's to if a woman has any kind of a power in order to restore an asymmetry of power is to comment on her body. That's something that's, that's just so hit true. me. Yeah. And how that can be like weaponized against them, even though they were sent in a private capacity. And it was illegal. Someone that they loved. Yeah. You know, and trusted. Mm-hmm. You know, it's something sad that happened to me recently is that I have a Google alert on my name and I got a Google alert from some forum with my name in it and I have a Patreon that helps support my podcast as part of the Patreon I do photo sets every month in themes of the podcast I don't do nudes but you know some of them are a little bit like artistic or scandalous in some capacities but like it's nothing crazy but I saw that someone put something out about me asking oh Aaron has a Patreon you know if anyone gets access to these photos like asking them to leak them ah and post them on the forum and I would never post anything that I wouldn't that I wouldn't stand by you know like I'm in a bathtub eating noodles like it's fine but that was so hurtful to see that that was out there that someone you know these are people are choosing to support my podcast and I'm hoping that they're there for the right reasons right Uh, so your journalism degree how does that present itself in what you're doing now or in your any of your creative work Yeah, it does because, I mean, weirdly enough, I was forced to do stuff in journalism school that I didn't want to do at the time because I wanted to just focus on being on camera. I wanted to learn how to report things or how to, you know, I guess talk articulately. I wasn't focused on learning how to edit content. Mm. I wasn't focused on editing audio. But these are both things that I do, weirdly enough, you know, for my podcast. You know, these are skills that I had to have. So yeah. with with that, would you recommend, because you do have a lot of students that listen to your podcast, mm-hmm. um, and there was one of your podcasts that I listened to, and I'm, I'm sorry, I forgot the gentleman's name, and there was, there was talking about what journalism was like in the 1990s versus what it's like today, and like, oh, there's no journalism, journalism there's no media jobs. Would you say that a journalism degree or studying journalism is still a good path for anybody that wants to go into content creation? Yes, I totally think so. I think specifically, if if you can get a broadcast journalism degree, do that because, you know, I went to USC, which is a really good school for that, that required me to learn all of the areas, including writing for print and writing for digital, that ended up being really, really helpful for me in terms of getting other opportunities because you never know how you're going going to get in to the place that you want to go. So if my goal was to be host of Entertainment Tonight or whatever, I might have to get in there as a writer first. And so whether you want to be in content creation that you own or you want to work for a company that has opportunities that you would grow into, it's so, so important and so relevant, I think, to still go to college and to learn all of like the aspects of something so you can be responsible and have the power to kind of like rise the ranks in whatever career path you have. Can you double major in philosophy? Because Gwen and I were talking about career choices before we oh, met today. Yeah. And we were, we're, we're worried. We're, we're, we're somewhat worried about oh, yeah. some people that are... I'm worried about are... my philosophy majors because I think that they 
they're developing these incredible analytic skills and I think that the university has to do a better job of how that they can navigate that in the real world afterwards because a lot of them say law school but then realize how much it costs and that maybe they're saying law school because they think that's the only option but I would imagine something like journalism also that you're just mm-hmm. getting an incredible skill set that finds its way in these other career paths you had also said to talk maybe a little bit about uh, your comedy career so you because you have a lot going on so border patrol stand-up comedy podcasting this isn't your first podcast yeah and (laughs) you have a lot going on so you're a workhorse okay doing a lot you had said that with comedy that it took a while like you were doing the stand-up and what kept you going see that's an incredible work drive I think that that's very cool you know, when you start stand-up, I always tell people, like, if younger stand-ups talk to me or ask me for advice, and I am by no means an expert in this category, I'm still considered a very young comedian, I always tell them, you just have to be willing to fail for about two years. And when I mean fail, I mean, like, really suck. Like, stand up on stage, not get laughs, be okay with doing that for two years, knowing that you're going to come out on the other side being a much better comic and also having weathered that storm so when it happens to you, you're not completely ruined. That's really hard and most people will not do that because it requires like so much strength, so much determination and it combines like all the things that people are afraid of the most, you know, like mm-hmm. public speaking and, you know, not being being a failure, you know, and and you just have to be and in front of people. Yep. You gotta be all right with it. <laughs> On our last episode, you remember what Jeff um, Hodge was saying about one of the reasons why some of these really big stars come back to do the comedy is because they get instant gratification. The opposite of instant gratification on the comedy is nobody laughing and feeling like you suck immediately. Yep. You just, you gotta just be like, okay, I suck. I'm gonna keep going for another couple years. I suck, I suck, I suck. I remember I didn't even want to keep going for another couple of minutes. I remember shows (laughs) doing, shows I would do early that I- I'm out, see you later. I was like, I don't have to finish this set. You know, I can just end it. You know, I, I would get up there. Yeah. yeah. Bye. Really? Bye. I would get up there and do like three or four minutes. It was not going well. And even if I had a seven minute set, I would just be like, thank you guys. That's my time. And pretend like I got the light or something uh, because that's how awful it felt. But <laughs> uh, that being said, you I kept think, going. So what is that? I think that I just felt it was a little bit of insanity, just like a little bit of, I think, like knowing that I'm a writer. You know, knowing that I'm a good writer and I have the capacity to write good material. And even if I was uncomfortable on stage, I knew that I like there was something in me. I wasn't making stuff up. I wasn't improvising. This this was all stuff I actually wrote. And I knew that if it was something that was good enough to get me on a bad show, one day it could probably get me on a good show. It's a great attitude. Yeah. Seriously, that's an awesome, awesome attitude. Well, I've told my students that people who are successful, they've just failed more than you. Yeah, that's just what it is. In one of your episodes, you had mentioned feminist comedy. So what does that mean? I definitely identify as a feminist. And I think that, you know, my comedy, it comes out when I talk about certain issues. Like, for example, I do this bit about the walk of shame and how I really hate that term. And I view it as sexist. And I even did it last night at this hipster show that I told you guys that I did that did not go very well. All the comics were bombing. It was the hipsters. I'm (laughs) telling you it was the hipsters. Don't blame yourself. It was the hipsters. They're they're not supposed to laugh. Yeah, I gave them some good material, man. You probably Uh, did. But... um, I had this bit about the walk of shame and someone heckled me in the middle of it, but I was able to use my punch 
punchline to kind of like direct it at them and it ended up working to my advantage but this whole bit that I do is about how I hate that term because I feel it's directed toward women and sure the argument can be made that the walk of shame is genderless it's for men and women but there is way more shame involved with sexuality when it comes to women so when I tell that joke, that's where I'm coming from, you know, and I'm like, I don't like this term. I think it's sexist. So there's certain I sometimes I get up on stage and I say like, OK, I'm a feminist. And sometimes I don't say it. But if you listen to what I'm talking about, it's all about that kind of stuff. Inequalities and, you know, gender and sexuality and the way that we all like that we look at it and the way I feel about it. So yeah, I hated it when this heckler guy was like, well, I do the walk of shame. It's like, okay, we get it. You're trying to announce you've had sex with someone recently. <laughs> Great. No, but no, no, the shame, no, he, no, he you know didn't. what I mean? Even the way that he volunteered that information, I'm like, there is no shame there. Yeah. Like, what shame are you talking about, sir? Like, this yeah. kind of stuff infuriates me. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're right. It's probably a walk of shame because he just left from, like, being alone. That's, that's, why, that's why he should be shameful. <laughs> he had nobody to walk away from. I mean, for the for hecklers. High and playing video games. A, a, a hipster, <laughs> a hipster heckler? Oh, my, my blood's going to boil. I don't know why. Yeah. I, I know there might be hipsters listening to this show. I know you guys provide something to society. I'm still trying to figure out what that is. I mean, I, you know, you, you, you've, you've turned hats. around Silver Lake. You've turned around Los Feliz. Thank you very much. But I'm still trying to figure you all out. Next time you see her on stage, you better laugh or I'm coming after you. Oh, my gosh. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> well, you've also mentioned uh, your mother's last name and yeah. making it more. Is it more presence that your Mexican heritage or? Yeah, let's talk a little bit about that. For sure. I mean, it's both it's both of those things. You know, like when I was growing up, the only people that had hyphenated or double last names were normally if your mother was like really progressive, you know, or she identified as a feminist or maybe if you had um you were a child of, of divorce or some sort of separation, you know, you had a, a double last name. And for me, I always took my dad's last name because he has a wonderful name. And Aaron Darling is so cute and so charming, and I love it, but it also sounds fake. And it doesn't tell the whole story. You know, I'm mixed. My mom is from Mexico. Like, I am half her, you know? Mm-hmm. I'm more Mexican than I am all the other blend of white, Caucasian, European things that I am. So I decided to take my mom's maiden name, just add it. So I guess I did a self hyphen because that tells the whole story. And it it's my version of embracing it. You know, as a lawyer in me, can I just ask you a really quick question? Yeah. Did you go through the whole like driver's license and, and social security and like all that rigmarole? No, not okay. yet. Okay. Because that, that's going to be a pain in the butt. But, <laughs> and that, and that's one of, but that's one of the Is problems. It? Some, well, it's just it, – it, goes to kind of gender identity and choosing who you want to be and maybe you don't have the name that you want to have there are all a lot of steps that you have to go through like when you sign up for a u.s passport and you show up with your birth certificate and you have a different name i mean it's not easy it's so it's it it does it's that it does make things a little bit more difficult legally do you know i I don't know if i'm going to change it legally i think i'm just going to treat it like a stage name and a pen name because yeah that seems like a lot it does Mm -hmm. it does that was not a warning against it that was just hey you know and then also if i do get (laughs) married then do i have to go through that again I don't think, I mean. Why is it easier to change your name when you get married than if you just want to like embrace your heritage? Because there's a, there's <laughs> a, for, cause there's a form issue, for yeah. it. Because there's, cause it's a form for it. Oh my gosh. And then changing the name after if you decide to go back, that's a headache. But yeah, you're right. To take on a man's name is nothing. Yeah. 
it's like we could totally unpack we could totally unpack a whole it's, thing i get here. into so much trouble whenever i talk to because my students kind of look at me like i'm crazy but like the whole wedding ceremony a western wedding ceremony is essentially a transfer of property that you're watching you have the father oh like gosh. taking her down like here's she's pure you know like she's untouched but i mean who are we kidding and then we've got, <laughs> we've got him like walking down and then he says who takes her or who gives her away the dad's like i do who will take her this other guy and then you see the change in name and it's, it's like a transfer of property and we say all of it and now I'm going to get in trouble for this. There's a great net. No, I think that's so <laughs> smart. I've never not, had. But I don't want to wow. encourage anybody to knock it. Like if they really want, you know, I say, I don't want anyone to be like, I don't want, I don't want to ruin. Don't mention this if somebody's getting married. <laughs> I don't want to ruin anyone's day. It's just that it, we actually recite the words that reflect. We say the same words. Who gives her away and who takes her. And you have the transfer of the name. Which is- There's a great Netflix series out right now. It's like it's not it's not called How Stuff Works because that used to be a podcast that iHeartRadio purchased. But it's like it's like this explains it or whatever. There was one on mm-hmm. there was one on monogamy that basically tied marriage and the transfer of the property rights, the the woman to the man and everything. They they tie monogamy starting there. Like we be, we stopped being hunter gatherers and we became these agricultural oh. people with the transfer of the families and the connection of the families that's the reason why monogamy was started in the first place and then in actual then religion made it as a part of it it was it was fascinating i'd never ever heard that before but the way that this series went into it it's only like 20 or 30 minutes long they cover everything in there they they cover female orgasms they cover oh, economics they is. cover all kinds all kinds <laughs> yeah, of stuff right it's, it's very we it's, never talk i about. learned a lot i had no i believe me after watching i was like oh it makes sense right yeah, you know it was amazing something interesting too that kind of reminds me i've seen parts of that series too you, you know which one yeah you yeah, know which yeah. One yeah yeah and we were talking earlier about like the lack of like sex education especially when it comes to the female body in our experience i didn't i didn't even know menopause was a thing like really? why? Yeah, I've never learned that in sex ed. They tell you, okay, here's what happens when you get your period. They never tell you, oh, and at one point it ends. Like it's just like that's just part of the story that we don't talk about. Just like we yeah. don't talk a lot about pregnancy. Fine. No, we need to talk. Or the female orgasm. You know how a, a guy has an orgasm, but like, do we? We don't talk about how a girl has one. Do you when, know why? Um, the word menopause was never spoken at Servite High School. So I'm just trying to support what she said. I never, I never <laughs> even heard of school. Yeah. That's how listeners. we know each other. That, yeah, I never yeah, yeah. heard that word. So well, she's right. This is what, so I've been thinking about this. I think what it is is that underscoring sex ed is the idea of reproduction. Yeah, yeah, reproduction. And so the male orgasm fits that narrative. The woman's orgasm doesn't because that's why you don't introduce the clitoris because that would throw off the narrative because okay. it's like here's this button that doesn't have any clear function other than pleasure Mm -hmm. and if you introduce that then sex all of a sudden isn't necessarily about reproducing it could also be about pleasure Mm -hmm. connecting with people it could also be about fun it could also be about getting a good night's sleep (laughs) 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 there's lots of things and i think that that's one of the reasons is that the description of the woman's body it interrupts that narrative yeah and nobody wants to talk about it Mm -hmm. but actually you know what that does make a lot of sense when you're at that young age it's kind of like okay we just want them to know this is what happens if you do this and if they tell us the other stuff that makes it awesome yeah (laughs) then other people want to do it all the time (laughs) yeah and they're like no don't do that yet how old does 
does this happen now? How old are... How, I don't know. What age are people learning about? <laughs> well, it is, from what I've heard from one of... Uh, Fifth grade? Yeah. Yeah, that's about right. I have, mm-hmm. I have, I've got a client who, who tends, he happens to be very religious. I mean, I love the guy. I mean, he, that's just who he is. He's, he's a very, very religious person. And he has a problem with how young and much more detailed they are introducing it into certain public school systems here in California. According to him... According to him, he said third grade. I find what? that I, that's what he told me. Well, here's the problem: because of the internet, mm-hmm. if you do not talk to your kids or have somebody talk about it, they will find out about it before. I think that's part of the the reasoning behind that. Yeah. I think I think they you're find right. out about it before because of the internet. Yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh. So so the schools or parents need to have this conversation because it doesn't matter if it feels like it's too young. It's that they that information will get to them very very young. When you'll find this out very soon. I don't want to. I have a three. I have a three and a half year old daughter and a book that her mother recently purchased for mm-hmm. her, and that we're reading to her now, is avoiding naughty pictures. Okay. Oh my gosh. Yeah, that's what we're that's what we're reading to. It's the bad picture book is actually what it's called. Like so, like if anybody tries to take pictures of you or tries to show you bad pictures, run. It's three and a half. Oh, well, you know what? That's one of the arguments for introducing sex ed earlier is because it can alert children when something is off. Exactly. It's to exactly. inform them. So that's actually really Exactly. Funny. Exactly. So if someone's taking an inappropriate picture of you. They now have yes. the language and the oh understanding gosh, that's so that, sad. that. That's yeah. what we just did two weeks ago. Oh. I mean, and this book is for th- between uh, girls and boys between the ages of three and four. This is so scary. This is that coin again of the of the smartphones and the social media and the technological world that we're living in. There's positives, there's negatives. Yeah. This is a philosophy podcast. You, there is no answer because there's no answer in philosophy, so it's perfect. It's a perfect way to you kind of tie Excuse it all you. in. There are answers. There's no answers. <laughs> there are no answers. There's no such thing as answers. No, no. If you say there's not enough time to go into this. You, Just no, agree there's no, no answers. No, I've heard this before where someone's like, oh, no, there's like no right answer. But then that presupposes that there's a definition of right, which is kind of like the liar's paradox. I'm, I'm going to go jump off the building. That's it. I'm jumping off the building. You know BRB. I can do it. Right over there. Oh, my gosh. Did you take any philosophy classes? I took a philosophy class. Okay. I, I want to take one. Can I take one? Can I come? She, take yeah. Can yours? we come? Can we? Can she and I come and, yeah. and you know uh, we'll take a class with you? Absolutely. Yeah, we can. You can take it to you where can, she, really? you can. Yes, you can. They're building out the gold line, which she doesn't even know how to take. By the way, that's another issue that I have. <laughs> you know, with I'm you. tired of being attacked. Well, on my own Take show. the train. <laughs> so wait, what is the liar's paradox? If you say I am always lying, that could be a lie. Yeah. So to say there is no right answer already presupposes the definition of right or that that would be the wrong answer. So there, Mr. Lawyer. My, my, head's, my head's gonna explode. <laughs> oh my gosh. Wait, as a lawyer, do you not, you're supposed to know all this stuff too, right? No. 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 It's no. Uh, no. no. You go, what you gotta know is the, You guys pull some chicanery and you, gotta, you know. You gotta know the gray. You gotta know where there, where there is no clear answer. That's how we get paid the big bucks. Like, mm-hmm. uh, you know, it, it could go this way, it could go that way. The law says this, but precedent says that, and the market says this. So here's how you need, you should balance your interests, Mr. Client person. It's not easy because there are, being a lawyer is seriously being like being a philosophy teacher. There are no right answers. Oh my God, okay. Aaron. I love getting under the skin. Aaron. I do. I love it. I love yes, it. there are. Yes, there um, are. Okay, I want to see with Aaron with your projects now. Where do you see this developing? Where do you see this going? Where do you see 
And also, what would you like to see? So you have gone through what it's like to be in the entertainment industry and this idea of what the body's supposed to be. You've talked about eating disorders. What do you hope for young women who would be listening to this? What do you want for them? And then what do you see in the future of your podcast? Wow, that's such a heavy question. I mean, thank you. <laughs> what I would want for young people if they find my podcast and I need to listen, I need to figure out what my demographic is currently. But I think that I would like them to have agency over their bodies and their choices. So no matter what, and this is this is something that I feel like I'm constantly having to explain because the body positive movement can be kind of confusing. But I'm not against Photoshop. I'm not against Facetune. I'm not against sexuality. I'm not against using your sexuality for profit. I am for making your own choices and making sure that the reason why you're doing things is coming from within, that you have a strong structure of self-validation and one that is not rooted in in your body or appearance you know it's rooted in the things that you know your value your personal value is more than that mm-hmm. so that's what i want people to take away from this women men whoever listens to this podcast and for myself you know i want to create opportunities as an entertainer you know that tell the stories and narratives of you know women and minorities and tell them in a real way that isn't rooted in their bodies or their sexuality those are the stories that i want to tell the tv shows i want to write and um yeah hopefully i'll get that type of opportunity on a bigger platform so that what i do now on a smaller podcast level can translate to a larger audience and I think media is really important. It's a really important facet of all of this because what we see is what we start believing. Yeah. yeah. Who are some of your mentors when you look back and you say, oh, okay, they, they were doing something pretty special. They inspired me. Wow, that's such a good question. Thank I mean, you. there's so many people. Um, but you know, you what? haven't given me one thank you today. <laughs> like, well, you, 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 not a single thank you. Know, you. you provided an excellent lunch. Uh, thank you. Yes, uh, thank you. Thank you. Delicious. Thank you very thank much. You so that's all much. I get from her today. Yeah, I don't know what it is. Such a lovely location. <laughs> and my parking validation. No, you know what? George Carlin. Okay. I love George Carlin. I loved him as a writer. I love how simple and clean his writing was as a comic. Just what an amazing career. But I also love what he became. You know, and how he was willing to talk about things that were really, really hard and to stand up and call out society in certain ways. So, you know, I really love him. I've been very inspired by his career for right. as long as ever since I was I was never I never grew up watching George Carlin. You know, I just knew he was like he made a cameo in, in Jane Silent Bob. Like that's that's all I knew. But when I started doing comedy, I was like, oh, my gosh, this guy's amazing. So definitely him. That's like probably my biggest inspiration. And I love Oprah. Mm-hmm. You know, someone like Oprah who, man, against all odds at the time, right. rose and became this incredible voice standing up for a lot of these stories that weren't being told and for women and minorities and people that have been marginalized too, like their whole entire lives even. And those are the stories that she tells, you know, as a producer and as an interviewer. What does comedy have to offer? These well, questions about self-love and about being a minority. I mean, my hope for myself is that I'm able to move in a direction where I could talk about these things more on stage, you know? Like I do it my podcast, but I realize I'm less vulnerable when I'm on stage with what I talk about. So I need to like really start writing and becoming more of this person when I do stand-up because comedy has that amazing power of making bigger difficult topics like a little bit easier to listen to and so if I can do that too like that would be incredible 
It's going to take some work because, you know, stand-up is, is a grind. But, yeah, that's, I think that's the power of comedy, though. You know, if we can laugh at something together and we can feel it, like if you can make someone laugh and someone cry, that's a superpower. Pillar of democracy, Gwen, just like we discussed. The the role of comedy, especially in our country, especially with where we are today, it is so vitally important to come at very difficult issues sometimes. Mm -hmm. Delicately, but with some humor attached to it so we can feel a little bit more comfortable talking about it. That's what I love about comedy. I'm kind of obsessed with this question. I know. And it's good. It's a good 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 one to be obsessed with. Because, yeah. No, I think it's just in the day of cancel culture that, and then also when I think about, because I had mentioned uh, Carlin as well. He's one of my favorites. When I think about the staying power, there's some wisdom there in the comedy. And I'm just wondering, what is the responsibility of the comedian or what does the comedian bring to us culturally? Because they are saying the things that you can't normally talk about in regular discourse. But when you're laughing, then you have to sit back and reflect on it and what what is making this funny. Right. Here's another short entertainment story that I have. I took a meeting with someone that produces comedy specials and they asked me what I wanted to do. And I told them that it was very important for me to wait to have this opportunity till I really know what I wanted to say, what I really wanted to like use this platform to be about. And then his response to me was, well, most importantly, it should be funny. Mm-hmm. And I was just kind of like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, <laughs> true, but like then you don't, I don't think you understand, you know, yeah. like where I'm coming from. So yeah, you have bigger plans. Yeah. Bigger ideas. <laughs> bigger ideas. Right. Okay. I look forward to seeing how big you get and we're, I mean, <laughs> honored that you came into the downtown LA into the Nixon Peabody office and onto Gwen's podcast and this was a blast. This was a blast. I agree and thank you guys so much for having me and I love this show and like I can't wait to hear it keeps happening with the show as well. It's so good. <laughs> thank you. Thank you so much. So how can people get in touch with you? Instagram darling with four H's D-A-H-H-H-H-L-I-N-G um, Twitter Aaron A. Darling and then my podcast Hot Pete's Ass on Spotify and iTunes. And then can I ask real fast about border co- or border not control patrol. Border, border patrol. patrol. Yeah that's a uh, border. One day I'll get I'll get stuff right on the first time, maybe someday. Don't, someday. don't, don't. Okay. It's, it's good. How can it's people good. see this? It's um, borderpatrolcomedy.com. It's on YouTube as well. And yeah, I think I might have, well, I don't want to say anything crazy about it yet. But yeah, they can just watch it there. <laughs> I've seen clips and it's very charming. It's very oh, charming. Thank you. <laughs> okay. And Rudy, thank you so much as always. Yes. And if anybody wants to ask for any um Transportation advice. Transportation <laughs> advice, because that's all what I'm good for. I'm good for nothing else. Uh, it's Sallow Rudy at Twitter. Okay. And I'm at G Dolsky. Oh, you remembered it. On Twitter this time I remember. It was very good. I took my vitamins. It's good. It's very good. <laughs> it's very good. I'm glad you did. Okay. Bye. Bye. Aaron Daring. Oh, fuck. <laughs> See, that's good comedy. See, that's very good comedy. You can't write that.